It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, Psy Tech Talk, taking the God story to a geeky place. Here's Michelle. Hey, glad to have you along for the ride today where I'm going to ask a question. A technology of ours. Is it killing us? Look, one week ago, this is a story we're going to be taking on today, among others. One week ago, a Hong Kong girl, 18 years old, relentlessly bullied by fellow online gamers. She reached out for help, but there was none to be found. She climbed to the top of a building and live streamed herself jumping to her death. So how dangerous is technology? How is it not just affecting these headlines, but you, your children, your mental health, your family, your relationships, your work? But what if there was a way we could change the way we understand and use technology that points us to the God story? Enter our guest today, whose recent article in the New York Post takes on this problem and points us to some of that hope. Andrew McDermott writes, podcasts, and educates on technology. He's a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute. Talk more. And so glad to have him along for the ride. The implications of science. The Discovery Institute. Andrew, thanks for joining in the fun today. I'm so glad to connect with you. Thanks for having me, Michelle. So we are in a really unprecedented time. Technology has advanced so quickly. Even within many of our lifetimes, we didn't have the internet, and now suddenly it is an integral part of our life. We had telephones that were connected to the wall, and now we have technology at our fingertips. The wealth of human knowledge is in our the palm of our hands, and yet what we do with it is really surprising. <laughs> we have a library of human knowledge in our hands, and what do we do with it? It is crazy times. Yeah, it's hard to think that we were designed to have that much information at our disposal. You look back in history, and that we worked with what we had. We didn't know everything. We didn't need to know everything. We had good, fulfilled lives, just working with our hands and our minds, but you see the technique, and I can talk about this later as we get into it, but technique is a good way to understand how technology has gotten ahead of us. You know, before the industrial revolution, our tools that we used, our tech tools, were the things we did our jobs with, and they moved at the speed of our lives. And so now we find ourselves in a very real phenomenon of technology being way ahead and us just trying to hobble along and catch up and be overwhelmed in the process and be confused and just uh, end up making some bad choices out of that. And it's a real thing. Technology and technique have really left us behind in a lot of ways. And we have to learn how to slow down, pull it back to where we are, make some choices to be boss over it <clears throat> so that we can have more fulfilling lives. Let's take on some of the bigger, more, more disturbing stories. They may be few and far between, but it is no longer news that adolescents especially, and particularly young girls, are in an unprecedented 
mental health crisis. You write, have written about and pointed out Miss USA pageant winner jumping to her death because of cyber bullying. Chelsea Christ suicide crazy. Stunt Wu, a, a, an actress, has dealt with the same type of issue. These issues have risen since the 20 teens, not long after social media platforms and smartphones just came, just boomed into existence. Yeah. And we're just now 20 years into the social media age, and into the age of smartphones about, what, 15 years, we're just now starting to be able to look and see some data collectively on a larger scale. We haven't really done that or been able to thus far. And what we're seeing is troubling. It's not like it's a smoking gun where you can say, oh, there it is. But of all the factors driving this mental health crisis with rising rates of depression, self-harm, suicide, not to mention the, the obvious stuff like, like laziness and intellectual <laughs> dumbness, you know, not to insult anybody with that word, but just to show that we no longer seek information the way we used to. It's not a journey of discovery. It's give me that quickly downloaded instant. And yeah, we're just now seeing that this mental health crisis is closely linked with the development of these technologies. And so now the choice is, what do we do about that? Do we just keep going and try to keep up? Or do we start protecting our children in ways that we protect them from other things? We can mm -hmm. talk about this as you're ready to, Michelle. The, we have laws in place to protect our kids from a lot of different things, driving, voting. Not that these are all harmful behaviors, but they need maturity and they need training. Mm, so why are we not point. applying that to the technology that in a very real way can harm us and destroy our lives. We're going to continue this conversation, but as we are live, ah, great, you froze for just a moment. So we wanted to get that fixed. Sometimes technology is awesome, and sometimes technology, it freezes. So welcome back from the frozen world. As we Thank continue you. our conversation, uh, protecting our children you mentioned something that I think is titillating. We don't just hand our seven-year-old the keys to our car and say, okay, have at it, have fun, be back before the, uh, before the uh, streetlights come on. <laughs> like we could back in the day with mom, mom would be like, be home before the streetlights are on and you'd be out in your bike doing stuff. We, we don't do that with the keys to our car because they're not ready. They're not trained. They don't have the capability. It's dangerous. We don't do that with, oh, go make yourself dinner at a too young of an age, there's age appropriateness, there's training involved. So why wouldn't we do that with social media? Because we are seeing study after study of how kids are just not mentally, emotionally, or even spiritually, if we want to get down to the God story, prepared for the onslaught of what they see in social media. Yeah, let's be real. Social media apps, as they currently are, and as they formed years ago, they were never made with children in mind. You know, adults can, can't even keep up with what these teams at the big tech companies have created. 
And it, it tells you something that their own children, there's been multiple stories of the leaders of tech companies not even letting their own kids touch this because they know the power of it. But it's out. It's like a Pandora's box. It's out. And what can you do about it? They wring their hands. They're sad about it. Yes. But there's nothing you can do about it. We have to look for ways to, to do something about it. The age of 13 is out there as this arbitrary number, magically 13 and up can handle this stuff. No, that was created when the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act of the year 2000 came out. Uh, that was four years before Facebook was created, 11 years before Snapchat was thought of, and 16 years before TikTok. And what is 13? If you look back, the architects say that was an arbitrarily chosen number. Nothing special about it. In fact, <laughs> one of the architects wanted 16, but pressure groups and tech groups said, oh, no, let's not do 16. Kids, teenagers may want access to information like birth control and abortion. And so they pressured it to be lower. But let's face it, 13 is just the beginning of teenagehood. Oh, they're I still have babies. I a 13-year-old as of a few weeks from now. My oldest is going to turn 13. And there's no way I'm going to let her loose on, <laughs> on that minefield of social media. No way. It's all happening in here. The mental health issues, slowly and surely. And then parents seem surprised when their child opens fire in a supermarket or, or kills themselves by jumping off a building. Well, they seem surprised, but this is years in the making. It's like that mouse slowly getting boiled. Sorry, yes. not the mouse, the frog. It happens slowly. The first line of defense, this is what I'm saying, should be the parents. Should be the ones that are living with the kids, expected to train them and teach them to succeed in life. If you let your kids loose on technology that leads them into social media, which is so addicting and in many ways harmful, how is that setting them up for success as an adult? It's not. So the first line of defense should be the parents. The second line of defense, legally standing, should be these big tech companies that produce this technology and this availability to begin with. Let's educate the parents and those who aren't parents. All of us succumb in one way or another to the effects of technology. There are things that we don't know about algorithms, about what kids can have access to, about challenges that come up on things like TikTok, which we're broadcasting live on as well today. Andrew, there, there are a lot of things out there. And as an expert in the tech industry and writing on the tech industry, you have some privy information that most people don't know. Share with us. I've spent five years professionally studying technology. Nobody told me to. It wasn't necessarily for my job at Discovery Institute, but I felt led to dive into this because I have kids of my own. I got three daughters. I have a stepson. And we're all into technology as every human being is. This is not a topic that somebody sits out on. Everybody's connected to technology in some way or another. And so I realized that and I studied this and the deeper I got, the more I realized it was all about us, just not in that zombie-like passive way that we're seeing it now. It's very exciting and I can unpack that for you, but you've asked how does big tech control our lives? What are the ways they're doing it? And I discovered a fellow named Jacques Ellul, awesome guy, born in 19, 1912, died in 1994. So his lifetime spanned the whole of the 20th century. And he was a theologian, a Christian, but he was also a philosopher of technology and a sociologist. And he wrote books and books on what he saw was the problem coming. This idea of technique, how, 
how technology was being shaped and how humans were being shaped in the use of it and in the pursuit of the perfection of whatever technique or, or method you're talking about. And he just saw this coming. And it's really interesting to read his book from 1954, The Technological Society, hmm. where he really predicts what big tech is doing right now, shaping humanity, guiding us toward the ends that they want us to, uh, to reach, their priorities, their values, and their methods as we access all this information today. And we're just getting lost. Were getting they... lost. Our purpose is getting lost. And it's really hard to make sense of it all. Um, two questions then. How are they doing that? And what is their end? What is their goal? What are their values? Yeah. Jacques Ellul uh, introduced this concept of technique to me. Technique is nothing controversial on its face. It's just the, the method by which you go about doing something. And as I mentioned earlier in our talk, pre-industrial revolution, our tech tools uh, were keeping up with us as humans because we were the ones shaping them. Now it's these big tech companies shaping the technique by which we access all this information, the tools we use today, if you will, all, a lot of them digital. And then you have to say, well, who controls the technique? It's big tech. And they are slowly and surely moving us toward their chosen ends. And we could talk for hours on what are their chosen ends. Obviously, money guides them. Engagement, because that translates to money. They do want power and they respect certain types of power. And so you can see how they donate to political causes. But at the end of the day, they want our attention. They want our time because that translates to money, either through advertising or a number of other ways, just utilizing our eyeballs and our attention. So they make these products as addicting as possible. They actually have taken cues from casinos. My friend Doug Smith has written a book what? on how screens shape us, our desires, and how we can break free. And he breaks it down. He shows how they're using human psychology to bring us back regularly. You know, we see with Snapchat and some of these other newer platforms Oh, what am I going to do? If I don't get on today, I'm going to break my streak. You hear teenagers say, my wife just went to camp with a bunch of high schoolers. She's a leader in our church. And the kids were so concerned that first 48 hours about breaking their streak on these social media apps and just not having it, not being able to fall asleep to music and connection with these apps. And after that 48 hours, they actually had a really great time and enjoyed the clarity that comes with separating yourself from that. But how often do we actually get to do that? Or Who sends us on don't. a camp and takes away our technology? Wow. Nobody, and usually as adults. And so it's down to us. That's astounding. We, under, we have an understanding when we touch on the God story, Andrew, that when you connect with his creation, go out in nature, look at the stars, you have a, you have almost like picking up your Bible. You have this connection with God. It is not a coincidence that in cities, in concrete jungles, there are more people of an atheistic mindset. I don't think there's a God. I'm not sure that there is because we're not connecting with his creation. And I had not thought about 
the fact that technology is part of that as well until you mentioned your wife's story. Just to circle back to the severity of the problem, you have written on stories like Constant Wu, Chelsea Christ, who was a Miss America pageant winner, who uh, killed herself because she felt bullied and insignificant, because of online issues. You've written, though, about every day. Now, those are well-known people. There are influencers that are known by millions that have succumbed to or been affected by cyberbullying. But there are also everyday Americans and kids, too, who have succumbed or feel affected. And some of these even make the news. But there are so many more. Just share with us for an example of how this problem has affected maybe just one of the many stories that you've written on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I've done some research for the social media piece and it was heartbreaking pulling up these stories. And I know I didn't find all of them. I just scratched the surface. I just found the ones that were in the news at the time. There's a teenager, Carson Bride, who, whose mother is now filing a lawsuit against Snapchat, YOLO and LMK, which are just recent social media apps, accusing them of falsely promising the enforcement of safeguards against bullying. They say they have zero tolerance policies against harassment, but kids are still getting bullied. And how can you possibly keep up with this as a social media company, especially when one of your features is disappearing messages and videos? Uh, There's not a lot of way to keep up with this, which is why parents are the first line of defense. But we do have to look for ways to hold these social medias legally uh, rely. legally liable for these things. And Carson Bride was 16. He was bullied on multiple apps, killed himself in June 20 of 21, sorry, June 2021. And now his mother is trying to make sense of it and trying to do her best Mm -hmm. to hold these social media companies responsible. I read about, gosh, it gets younger and younger, a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old in two (coughs) two, two separate states, excuse me, Biani and Leilani, <clears throat> they died because of TikTok, because they were fed videos of these TikTok challenges, in particular, the blackout challenge. <clears throat> and <clears throat> they attempted it and, uh, you know, ended up killing themselves eight and nine years old. Oh, and I this was just imagine. last year, separated by just a few months. And again, there are many others, but I read their story. Now their parents are trying to sue TikTok. Because TikTok would continually serve up these videos until the kid relented and went for them. How Unless does they this just make sense? Out of morbid curiosity. How does this make sense? I have gotten canceled on social media. We were talking before the broadcast because I had information on vaccines and I was trying to be balanced as a journalist is supposed to be, but I'm canceled. And videos removed before they could even reach the general public. But yet they can have challenges like this that literally encourage kids to put themselves in a situation that could end their life at seven and eight years old. How does this make sense? Yeah, it really does not make any <laughs> sense at all. And and that's why it's so important to... <clears throat> to start tackling this, making sense of it as our own individual families and in communities, and then trying our best to hold uh, big tech accountable. We have to start making sense of this. 
Kids are dying, teenagers are dying. But look, as Constance Wu has shown, this can affect people in their 30s, 40s, and beyond, you know? Uh, she, Constance Wu is a, a popular actress. And when I read her story recently, she just came back to Twitter, gingerly stepping back into that social media platform after taking a three-year break. Uh, she almost killed herself back in 2019 after a dust-up with some comments she made, some tweets she made about her, her TV show being renewed. And that was stopping her from following another passion project. And like many of us, we're sharing our thoughts, knee-jerk, not thinking, not reflecting, not sleeping on it. And then she got a barrage of nasty comments. And she points out two in particular, DMs, direct messages on Twitter. One of them from a fellow Asian-American actress who said she had become a blight on the Asian-American community. And that Ooh, wording, geez. along with the barrage of other stuff going on, was really what started convincing her, maybe I don't deserve to live. I've done these awful things and I, I should just let people go of me. And so she made an attempt. A friend saved her, got her to the hospital, oh. and she lives to tell the story. And I thought that was worth telling and talking about as a way to enter into this. Look, we don't have to die over this, but we are allowing it. And we need to look for ways to stop it. Andrew, this is a which came first, chicken or the egg question. But we have people who are greatly affected by the comments of strangers. And we have become a society, if you remember the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. But we have become a society where we feel that words are weapons and we are greatly offended when someone disagrees with us or when someone has a differing point of view or votes differently than we do. It We see it as violence. Now we're saying words are violence. Is this perpetuated by social media did, or did this come first? Again, a chicken or the egg question. Yeah, I think absolutely the sticks and stones no longer applies to us <clears throat> because when that was a saying and when it, when it was appropriate was when you had face-to-face -face interaction with people. It wasn't virtual. It wasn't over a screen. And so you, you didn't like what somebody said to you but you chose to to not you know allow that to hurt you and pierce you there was a choice made but again it was one-to-one -one interactions there it wasn't mass media but now look at us now look at us we in the last 20 years we have gotten more sensitive to how people what people think of us and what they say to us thanks to social media and screens and smartphones i really do think that is a major reason why the sticks and stones doesn't work anymore and why it is called violence when you speak certain things, because we're so hypersensitive to it now. Back then, it didn't bother us so much if somebody, one of our old friends or somebody in the street said something, because that's one isolated thing. But if you throw 100 people all crowding around you virtually, albeit, yeah. and they're all saying the same thing, that is overwhelming to any human being. I don't care how old you are. And so you're right. I think I think there's a sensitivity there that has come as a product of these technologies and social media.
Yeah, I hear you. Uh, true story. I posted something uh, online and someone just lambasted me. Names were flying. It was absolutely crazy. And it was someone I know. And I was like, really, dude, why can't we just talk about this? And he got back and said, oh, my gosh, Michelle, I didn't realize that was you. If I knew it was you, I would have never said these things. And that got me thinking, what are we doing? doing as a society. And this leads to the God story. The God story is we forget that people have value. We've devalued people even in the most vulnerable state. And, and then, yeah, I'm talking about abortion, but that's a whole nother issue we can get into in another show. We devalue people in every regard, the way we talk to people, the way we look at life. And so what happens it, what happens is we come to a place where people no longer have value. People no longer have what they were created with, which is they are image bearers of God. And we forget that they're image bearers of God. When we realize that no matter what someone does, you realize there's preciousness there. We no longer see people as precious. Correct. Yep. I'm seeing it across the board in news stories. The violence is getting more random. It's getting more blatant. It's getting more vicious. And all that stems from what you just said, where we have stopped seeing each other as fellow image bearers because we've left God behind decades ago. And many of these squares, the digital public square and academia and entertainment, God has been left in the dust. And this is the result. So how do we turn that around? It starts with us, right? We can't do anything about the people on the street, but we can do something about us. Boom, we can do something about us. And that's what we're going to do. You talk about authentic technology, changing the way we understand and use technology. And you have a three-step approach that I wanted to get to in our final minutes together. And if you are just joining in, Andrew McDermott is with us. He is a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute. He writes about technology. He podcasts about technology. And he had a recent article that was in the New York Post that is just dynamic. What are your steps, what is the approach to hope that we can take on? As you said, it starts with me. It starts with my family. What do we Absolutely, do? Absolutely, Michelle. Thanks for asking. Yeah. In the last five years, I've, as I've studied all this, I've put together a common sense approach. The first step in my approach, I call it authentic technology, my approach. I want, I want to help myself, my family and others uh, utilize technology in an authentic way that's going to result in our lives being rich and meaningful and purposeful. The first step is renewing our understanding. And we've talked about that, some of that today. What does technology actually mean? As I dived into the etymology, I realized that the root there is text, yes. T-E-K-S. And that means to weave or fabricate. So really, it's about what humans can weave together to build, to create with their minds and with their hands. It's all about us, but we do have to be careful about what we put together. It's got to be a tool that we can use to fulfill our purpose, to do the good works that God has set out for us to do in advance. Before we even came on the scene, he had a list of good works that we can tackle and we can use our tech tools to do that. I am by no means somebody who says, run to the woods and forget about technology. No, let's use it. Let's harness it. But let's remember, it's all about us, but in a good way, in a God way, you could say. 
The second step, once you get to an understanding of technology and you understand what technique is and how it's being used to shape our desires, then it's all about resetting, hitting that, that button that takes a while. It's not an overnight process, resetting our relationship with technology. First, you ask some questions about your purpose and your vision, and then you ask questions about the platforms and gadgets and subscriptions and tools that you're using and anything that doesn't make the cut about those, those gadgets and subscriptions, get rid of it. Sever ties with any big tech company that doesn't have the same values as you and is getting in the way of your kingdom business, your God business. And then the last step is the most exciting, and that is to release our potential. That, in the end, is really what it's all about. I don't want to just tell people, don't do that, don't do this, don't touch that. It's more of, let's put that aside so we can do this. We can live the human adventure as God planned it to be lived. Let's tap into what it means to really be human. We're forgetting that in this virtual digital age. And there are different ways to do that. But basically, it's living out the good works that God has planned ahead of time. Andrew, this has been powerful. Bring us home. I'll give you the last word. Yes, Michelle. I really appreciate us chatting about this. And listeners and viewers, I don't want to shame anybody. So wherever you're at with technology is a great place to step back, hit that power button. That power button's your friend. You don't see it very often. In fact, some tech, you, you just, you're just you supposed to put it to sleep, not even turn it off. But the power button's your friend, and it's time to step back, say, what am I doing with my life? What do I want to do? And what tech needs to be with me as I do it? And get rid of anything else. Ask yourself the tough questions. And I have them listed. I've talked about them. Look it up. Feel free to message me, email me, whatever. I'm happy to help you step back, reset your relationship, give you a new understanding of technology, and then be able to release your potential to the world in amazing ways, in only ways that you can do. And God planned it ahead of time. He knows you. He knitted you together in his mother's, in your mother's womb. And the awesome thing about that, if you look at the Hebrew word, sakach, knitted together, it's the same root as technology. Um, it means to weave, sakach. And so God weaved you together. He is the God of technology, the original technician, and he has created you. So now what are you going to do for his kingdom and for his glory with the time you have? Thank you for being part of My Michelle Live. Like, share, subscribe, and we'll catch you next time. More SciTech Talk at MyMichelleLive.com.